Well, today I'm going to begin a brand new series uh, called The Lamb, the Lion, and the Warrior King. And we're going to be going through the book of Revelation. Now, I understand that you probably have had all kinds of experiences with teaching on the book of Revelation. I talked with a woman before the service today. She said, I got to get my mind ready for this teaching on Revelation. I said, why is that? She said, well, the church I grew up in, it was scary to think about the book of Revelation. How many of you kind of had that experience? It's kind of scary. How many of you had the experience that it was just kind of weird, all right, going through the Revelation? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you had no experience at all. You have no idea where you even are, okay? Uh, you're just vaguely aware that someone's sitting in a seat next to you today. Well, there is certainly a lot of bad teaching. When I say bad teaching, I, there's a lot of weird stuff that can come from people focusing on the book of Revelation. And, and I believe the reason that it can get weird and the reason that it gets difficult and the reason it gets scary is because we miss the very first part of the message of the book of Revelation. In fact, this book was actually a letter, and it was written to at least seven churches, and these churches were experiencing, for the most part, a lot of persecution. Some of them were being put to death for their faith. Others were living under the cruel heel of the Roman Empire. Some were having their freedoms taken away. Some were just experiencing very, very much difficulty in life. It was, there was no justice. There was injustice everywhere. Some people were being imprisoned for no reason at all. And they were experiencing a lot of negative and bad things. But did you know that the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that gives a promise that if you will read it, actually, it, it talks about pastors reading it and people listening to it. It's the only book of the Bible that God gives a promise that if you'll hear it or you'll read it, that you'll be blessed. Now, we know that all Scripture is given by God. We know that all Scripture blesses our life. But this book in particular, God says, if you'll listen to it, if you'll follow it, you are going to have a great blessing in your life. And why is that? Well, because of the encouraging message from the book of Revelation. I know some of you are like, the encouraging message from Revelation? You, 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 you are aware you're talking about Revelation, right? That book that talks about beasts and uh, flying locust creatures with lion's heads and, and uh, scorpions stings in their tails. And it talks about famine and war and desolation and pestilence and the beast and the false prophet. Have you lost your mind? What in the world are you talking about the great blessing? Well, you need to understand that for context, the reason it was such a great blessing to the people that were reading it or hearing it read was very simple. It gave the message that Jesus wins. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were living in a time where there was great injustice, where there was great evil, 
where there was great persecution even for Christians. Would it be an encouragement to you to know that Jesus was going to overcome all that? Would it be an encouragement to you to know that Jesus is going to hold uh, false religion, evil governments, and sin? He's going to hold it accountable. All injustice in the world one day is going to be put right. Well, of course, that would be an encouragement to you because even uh, though we're not going through what they went through in uh, the first century there when this was written, the fact is it is a great encouragement for us to know that one day all the injustice in the world is going to be put right. That all the things that we get all upset over and we watch the news and we wring our hands and we uh, just get so flustered over that one day it's going to be good. It's going to be nothing but good news one day. It's all going to be made right. And the message from the book of Revelation is this. Yes, God judges these things, but for the believer, even though you may go through some difficult times, in two weeks I'm preaching a message called, What Do You Do When Life Doesn't Turn Out Like You Expect? The fact is we all face difficulties and injustices and problems, but the great encouragement is that Jesus is with us. And then no matter what we go through, you can clap on that. Jesus is with us. That's a good thing. And no matter what we go through, the fact is that God is going to be with you. Well, before I get started today, let me just kind of give you a little bit of background so that you can understand the purpose of the book of Revelation. And once again, don't focus on the events, focus on the person. Because the book of Revelation is about a person. We're going to see in the very first sentence what this book is all about. Uh, it's about a person. It's not about a bunch of events. But so that you'll understand, it was written about 60 to 65 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus, though we say he was born in 0 AD, he's actually probably born in uh, 4 uh, BC simply because they got it wrong on the dates, and they figured it out later. And so Jesus was crucified somewhere around 30 AD and resurrected from the grave. And so some 60 to 65 years later, this book was written. And, and the reason this book was written, because uh, obviously John, who wrote the book, one of Jesus' disciples, um, he was given the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And actually, it wasn't just like in his mind, but we'll, as we're reading this text, Jesus actually appeared to him. Now, if Jesus appears to you and tells you to write something down, I'm pretty sure that you would do it, right? And so, this is what happened to John. Now, John is the same one that wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and uh, one of the great themes of his writing in the Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John was the love of God. He was aware that God loved him. And believe it or not, in spite of how you may have read or heard taught about the book of Revelation before, the real theme of the book of Revelation is God's love. You say, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. You're going to understand that God loves you so much and that he has given so much for you to reach you, 
that it's going to be transformational to your life. It's going to make all the difference in the world. So history tells us that the emperor Domitian was uh, ruling, and he was going to have John martyred. He was going to kill him. And so they filled up the Roman Colosseum, and uh, they had this cauldron of boiling oil. This is what he was going to do. He was going to have John boiled alive in front of all these thousands of spectators in the Roman Colosseum. So they heated up the cauldron of oil, and they put John in it, and he would not burn. (laughs) He would not boil. In fact, history tells us that John, in the middle of all this, he stands up in this cauldron of oil and begins to preach to the thousands of people that were in the Roman Colosseum. Now, they didn't know what to do with him. I mean, what do you do with a guy that you're trying to kill and he won't die? And so what he did was he took John and he exiled him to an island called Patmos. And it was there that Jesus appeared to John and gave us the message that we're going to read today. So begin reading with me in Revelation chapter 1. And uh, verse 1. I'm going to read this entire chapter. I'm going to make a few comments. And then I'm going to give you three points. And we're going to be done. Okay. Uh, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you're looking for the theme of the book, it's found in the very first phrase. Not the revelation of the events to come. Now, we all are interested in events to come. We're all wondering what the world is going to be like next year. We all even like to look and see what the weather is going to be like the next day. We're very interested in the future, but this is not about the future. It is about the future, but it's about Jesus and how he controls the future in your life. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Now, why would he say that? Is it God wants you to read it out loud when you're having your private devotions? No. In that day, not many people had access to the internet. Zero people had access to it. Some of you are like, oh, okay, that's good to know. Yeah. Well, they didn't even have access to books for the most part. Because if you're going to get a book, most of the time it's either written on a scroll, kind of hard to carry a big scroll around, they're very expensive, or or written on papyrus, and just not many books, not many copies of Scripture were available. So what did they do? They did the same thing that I'm doing right now. Uh, The pastor or whoever was designated would read Scripture aloud. So what he's saying is, in the church, the leader, the pastor, whoever reads it aloud is going to be blessed, and... Blessed are those who hear. So that's the people that are hearing what's read. or Whether you read it yourself or hear it read, you're going to be blessed. And who keep what is written for the time is near. Now, in case you're wondering what that little phrase, who keep what is written, what that means is that you keep it in mind. That you keep it in focus. Not that you have to go through and find out what the seals mean and uh, that you keep that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about keeping the central message of this book 
in mind, and when you do, you're going to be blessed. Would you like to know what the central message is? Jesus wins. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, whenever you keep this forefront, foremost in your mind, you are going to be a blessed person. So John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. That's talking about Jesus. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. What is a witness? It's someone that tells what they saw. Jesus, what do you know what he tells us about? He tells us about the Father. He tells us about God. He tells us how to have a relationship with him. He is that faithful and true witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. So in other words, he says, I'm alive, I'm resurrected, and I am in charge. That ought to bring great comfort to you. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in control. You say, well, yeah, but what about if, uh, if God is all-knowing and all-powerful? Well, he really can't be because if he knows everything that's going to happen and he doesn't stop the things that are happening, then either he's not loving or he's not all-powerful or he's not, not all-knowing. And that simply just is not true because the fact is for you and me, we don't see what he sees. And I'm going to talk about this next week of how that you and I, in spite of the fact that we may be facing difficulty, in spite of the fact that we don't understand everything that we go through, in spite of the fact that we experience pain, God knows. He sees. And he knows more than we do. And if we knew what he knew, we'd come to the same conclusion that he does. And so Jesus is in charge. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In case you're wondering, he's telling you what this book is about. He's telling you what the theme is. He, he's telling you what you should focus on. You getting the picture so far? You getting the idea that it's about Jesus? He keeps on repeating this. I'm the witness. I'm the king, I'm the king of kings. I am the true witness. I, am de- I was dead and now I'm alive. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I am the one you need to keep your eyes on. That's what he's saying. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a gold sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. 
and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. You get the idea of the brilliance of Jesus Christ? Are you picking up on the theme? Are you picking up on the idea that this is all about Jesus Christ? And he's telling us who he is. He's telling us why we can trust him. He's telling us why we are blessed when we keep him front and center. He's telling us why our life is better. He's telling us why success begins on Sunday. He's telling us why the more I keep my eyes focused on him, the better off my life is going to be, the more blessed I'm going to be, and the better my life will be. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. He keeps on saying this. And the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. I'm going to explain what that is in a minute. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he's writing to the angels and to the churches. And so uh, what I want to give you today is just three thoughts. And normally, and you know this if you come here, normally when I preach, I try to either give a, a singular thought that's like a big idea, or I give normally about three points, and they, I try to sometimes make them uh, alliterated. Sometimes I make them really short or I make them, I try to make them memorable. Today, I'm going to give you three statements uh, for my points and they're sentences. And I want you to remember them and I want you to keep your focus on them. So here's the first point and I want you to get knowing, trusting, and worshiping Jesus transforms your life. Now, I realize that for the most part, probably people in here are Christian. You've received Christ. There may be those that are searching and you're not, uh, you're not a Christian yet. You're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet. Uh, but probably for the most part, the majority of you in this room have been in church or you have received Christ before. So I am making a very obvious statement to you. Of course, we know that by knowing, trusting, and worshiping Jesus... It will change my life. That's the whole point of coming to know Christ. But I want to just kind of drill down on this a little bit to help you understand exactly the foundation that Jesus was laying for you. For that we understand the rest of this book and the rest of this time together, that we build it on this foundation. I'm going to give you just kind of bullet points of what Jesus said about himself in uh, Revelation chapter 1. Um, number one, it's all about Jesus. And when you begin to live your life that way, that he is the central focus of your life, that you begin to understand that your job, it's really about Jesus and honoring him. Your marriage, it's really about Jesus and building your life around him. Your children, really parenting is about Jesus and getting them to him. Everything in your life, even your neighborhood association. It's all about Jesus. You need to keep that in mind the next time you go to one of those meetings, all right? So, because, man, it's hard to remember that it's about Jesus when they're trying to 
pass some kind of nonsense that you don't agree with, right? So it's about Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is this. You've got to, you've got to understand this. He keeps on nailing it. He keeps on hammering it home. It's about me. It's about Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us God's love. He is the witness. He says, I am from the Father. I'm one with the Father, and I want you to know that he loves you. He's that witness. And when the more I understand that, the better my life is going to be. Jesus pours out his blessings on us. He said, blessed is the one who reads it aloud, the pastors, the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the members who keep what is written. As I said, keeping it is to keep in mind or keep it at the forefront of your mind. We are blessed when we keep Jesus at the center of our life. And literally, it's another way of saying it is you build your life around the gospel. And I'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. How do you build your life around the gospel? What does that mean? The Apostle Paul said, for I am crucified with Christ, yet not I, it's not, not I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, when I begin to understand that my life is to be built around this idea of the gospel, that is when I will begin to be blessed. Now, what is the idea of the gospel? Well, if you go to the very most famous message that Jesus ever preached, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. The first part of that sermon we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This idea of being poor, that the word that Jesus used, was the word for not the working poor. We probably have some working poor here today. You can barely make ends meet. You're working hard. If you miss a, if you miss a paycheck, you'd probably go bankrupt. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are in such debt uh, that you don't know what it's like to have any financial margin in your life. You have a lot of stress in your life. You would be classified, even though we are all very wealthy comparatively in this country, we'd be the working poor. We're, we're working to get ahead. We're, we're the working class. That's not the word that Jesus used. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That is not just broke but the people that are physically incapable of helping themselves. In other words, they're so broken, they're so poor, that they're so physically incapable of helping themselves unless somebody works on their behalf, unless somebody gives an extended hand to them, there is no hope for them. That's the word that Jesus used, blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you know what that means? It means when you understand that you are broken as a sinner, that you are separated from God because you are positionally born separated from God, but you're also separated from God because of your sin, that there is nothing you can do to make any difference in that relationship with God. You can't be good enough. You know why? Because you fall short of God's standard every time you try. Even if you're better than your neighbor, it doesn't matter. You're not as good as Jesus. It means that no matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many times you help poor people, no matter how many good things you do, no matter how many nice things you say to other people, that in and of itself will not impact or affect your relationship with God at all. You know why? 
Because you're incapable of earning God's love. You're incapable of earning God's grace. That's why it's called grace. Because God gives it absolutely free. He gives it with no conditions whatsoever. And what Jesus is saying is this. When you build your life around this idea, it goes beyond just becoming a Christian. It goes beyond just getting saved. It goes beyond just getting some fire insurance so you don't go to hell when you die. It goes way beyond that. It's this idea that I can't do it by joining the church. I can't do it by my moralism. I can't do it by any other thing than resting completely in the unmerited grace of God. And when I trust that, it's God's free gift of salvation. But wait a minute. It's not just the starting point. It's also the finishing line. You see, what Jesus is telling us here is this. That when I began to build my life around the idea that I, in and of my own strength, am incapable of doing anything to please God. Now, does that mean God is against effort? No. Is God against faithfulness? No, the Bible teaches we should be faithful. Is God against any of those things? Of course not. But the truth is this, and don't miss this. Until I begin to understand that it is not my effort but the grace of Jesus Christ. When I begin to build my life around that, then all of a sudden, I'm blessed. You know what I've found in my own life? If I'm struggling with a sin, you know, the more sin conscious I become, the worse it gets in my life. The more I fail, the more I mess up, the more I determine in my own strength, I'm not ever going to do that again, and no matter how much I white-knuckle it in church, you know, I end up failing, and I feel driven further and further away from God. But when I begin to understand that it's God's grace, and not that God is against effort, but it's not my effort, but I'm resting in Him and His help, that He is the one that makes the difference, that He is the one that completes the process, that He is the one that gives me strength. The more I begin to rest in God's grace, all of a sudden, and I've I've seen this happen in my own life, things that I struggle with, I start resting in the grace of God, and then all of a sudden, I'm not thinking about it anymore. All of a sudden, I wake up one day, and it's been a long time. I'm like, wait a minute. I haven't even thought about that. I'm not doing that anymore because it's the grace of God. Now, can I just help you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, you want to get through the book of Revelation? You want to get through the trials you're going through? You want to get through the tribulation you're going through? Rest in me. It's my effort. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the king of kings. I'm the one who was dead and is alive again. I am the one that gives you the strength. And so what God is telling us here is very, very clear. That we must build around the grace of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus gives great grace. He gives great peace. He never changes. He is faithful. He is alive Jesus is king and will put all things to order one day. He loves us. He frees us and forgives us. And he is coming again and he gives us a heavenly perspective. That's kind of the, the things that Jesus was laying foundationally. Jesus is the purpose of creation. He is present in the beginning, middle, and the end of history. 
By the way, did you know that's why you can trust him? You may not understand what you're going through. You may not understand your circumstances. But he said, I am in the beginning of history, the middle of history, and the end of history. I am the one that makes the difference, and you can trust him. Jesus will ultimately conquer sin, bring justice, destroy fear and death, and restore everything to its original order and purpose. And he alone is worthy of our worship and praise. So that is my first point. Now, don't worry. We're not going to be long, all right? Some of you are like, oh, my goodness, if that's your first point, we are going to be here till tomorrow morning. I promise. We will not be, as far as you know. All right, so <laughs> second point is this. You're not alone. Do you realize how comforting it was to the people that knew that it was likely that they were going to go to their death soon because of their faith? Do you know how comforting it was to them that they remembered, they knew that they're not alone. Can I just encourage you? You are not alone. No matter what you're facing, you're not alone. He says, and he made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, let me just kind of summarize this. Jesus gives us a family. He makes us belong. He said, you are a kingdom, priests, and uh, that he is with you. That's what he's saying. He gives us a family. He gives us a purpose. You know what priests are? They're God's representatives to people. So he says, I'm going to make you a kingdom. What is a kingdom? Well, there's authority that goes with that. Jesus says that through him, he gives you the authority to live for him and to make a difference and to overcome the sin that is around you and in your own life. He gives you authority. But he also makes you God's representative for him in the culture around you so that you're not alone and no matter what you face, no matter what the culture is like around you, that Jesus says, it's going to be okay. You are my representatives. Can I just say this to those of you you have to forgive me. I'm going to take these glasses off because they're sliding down on my face, and they're new, and um, if I can't see what I'm reading, then that's okay because I'm tired of pushing them back up on my nose, okay? Did you know that um, God promises that he is with you? I will say this. It should bring comfort to you as a parent to know whether you have kids or whether you're a grandparent and you have grandkids, teenagers, young children, whatsoever. You ever hear somebody say stuff like this? Boy, I'm glad I ain't raising my kids in, uh, today in 2022. Well, they're negative Nellies. I want you to know that. And uh, they're Eeyores, and you have my permission to slap them. All right, so. <laughs> Do you know what Jesus is saying? You don't have to worry about the culture around you. Oh, look, yeah, the culture around us, that's not the thing. You know what the thing is? It's the gospel. You are his representatives, and he's saying it's going to be okay. As a parent of young children, you, yeah, is there a culture war? Of course. But the culture war uh, is not the thing. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the thing. And when I raise my kids around that, that's what makes the difference. 
So Jesus is saying that he gives us a purpose and he gives us hope. Uh, John said, I am your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus Christ. He gives us endurance. Now, once again, these people were facing great difficulty. Don't you think that it's possible that if he could give these Christians the endurance to endure in the face of persecution, in the face of martyrdom even, in the face of imprisonment, that maybe he might give you enough grace to make it through uh, Larry, who you work with at work that you don't like. Anybody named Larry? I, I wasn't calling you out, okay? I, that was just the first name that popped into my mind. But if you are Larry, then I'm just saying, all right, so. No, don't you think that Jesus can give you the patient endurance to get through your week at work? That he can give you the patient endurance to deal with your teenagers? That he can give you the patient endurance to see what's on the news and not lose your mind? He'll be with you. You are not alone. And then the last thought is this. God has given you the church as his incredible gift. He gives the church to help us grow. You see, he's talking about this, that we build our life around the gospel. We build our life around Jesus. And one of the ways that we do that, when I said in the very beginning, success begins on Sunday, this idea that I put Jesus first and foremost in my life, front and center in my life, the gospel is a thing, the grace of God is a thing, that's what brings blessing in my life. And no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I go through, Jesus is the theme, Jesus is the thing, and when I begin to live that way, then things change. The church helps us grow. He gave us the church to help us to reach others. Have you ever noticed that you do a whole lot better job of reaching people when you're partnered with the church than you do on your own? See, that's the way God designed it. Uh, he gives us the church to use our gifts for His glory. One of the only ways you can truly use your gift for the glory of God, and I'm not talking about your gift at work or uh, the natural talent that God gives you, but God has called you to use what he's given you for his glory. And he's called you to use it in the church among a, group, uh, among a group of people who are imperfect and broken and messy. Now, if you're looking for a perfect church filled with perfect people, you're at the wrong place. And I'm not saying that to throw off on our members, though some of them are. Anyway. No, I'm very serious about this. The fact is, there is no such thing as a perfect church, only a perfect Savior. And when we begin to understand that, that's why one of our value statements is that Avalon Church is the perfect place for imperfect people. So if you're not perfect, welcome home. If, if you're a little bit messy, you're in good company. And God gives us the church as a gift to help us belong. He wants us to belong, and then he gives us pastors to teach us and to lead us spiritually. When I know, trust, and worship Jesus, and keep the gospel at the center of my life, then my life is transformed. I'm going to just close with telling you a story 
a little differently than I've told it before. I've told it many different times in many different ways because it illustrates what God has done in my life. My dad uh, was in a, several generations in our family that had not gone to church. But funerals and weddings, that's about it. They did not go to church. It's not that they didn't believe in God. It's not that they weren't hardworking people, but they just didn't have that much room for God. And my dad became an alcoholic by the time he was a 16-year-old boy in high school. He and my mother married at 18 years old, and I was born when they were 19. And my dad was a full-blown alcoholic by the time he was 20 years old. I'm talking about fall in the ditch. My mom saved his life many, many times, falling in the middle of our floor and lying in his own vomit, me asking my mom, why is my daddy sick? full-blown. And for years, my mother prayed for him, and my grandmother prayed for him, and he always said that he was going to go to church, but he never did. We had never been to church as a family before until one day. One day, and the miracle was that my dad was trying to get drunk that Saturday night before church on Sunday morning, but the place where he normally would go to get his alcohol was closed. That was odd. Must have been like God had planned it. And on that Sunday, sober for the first time in a long time, my dad received Jesus Christ as his Savior. Amen. Now, my dad is one of my heroes, no doubt. He's had the greatest impact on my life of any human being. But the fact is, he's not perfect. And there have been a lot of shortcomings in his life, just like there have been in mine. But I do know this. Our lives were transformed because my dad began to take seriously the gospel. And he eventually quit being an alcoholic. God delivered him. He eventually started going to church faithfully. And then he started going to Sunday school. We, they didn't have small groups. They had Sunday school. He started going to Sunday school. He started going on Wednesday night because they had Wednesday night church. And before you know it, he was teaching Sunday school. And then he became involved in the youth ministry. And then he became a deacon. And then eventually God called him into the ministry. My dad became a youth pastor at first, and he was a basketball coach at a Christian school. And then God called my mom and dad to be missionaries to Mexico. And for a few years, they lived in Mexico spreading the gospel. And then one day, my Dad came back to North Carolina where we grew up, and he started a church, and he pastored that church until he retired. And here's what I know, that entire family, that man was transformed by the gospel. You see, the truth is, my sister and I got saved, his Two sisters got saved. My mom's three brothers got saved. I had numerous cousins, and he had nephews and nieces that got saved. Perhaps one of the greatest miracles in that whole story. My grandpa got saved. He was 49 years old. He was so shy, he could not go forward in a church if literally he had the choice between dropping into hell or going forward in front of people, he would have chosen to drop into hell. That's how shy he was. But I'll never forget 
that day in church. My, my grandpa, Sanford Miller, Sanford Paris Miller. My dad's name's Roger Paris Miller. My name's Richard Paris Miller. I have no idea why the name Paris is a middle name. <laughs> Maybe somebody wanted to go to Europe. I don't know. But I do know this. He gave his life to Jesus Christ that Sunday morning. It was less than a year later that he died. He was 50 years of age. He died in his sleep from a massive heart attack. And that left my grandmother, who was a fairly moral woman, but one of the meanest people you'd ever met in your life. You ever met people like that? That they always thought that they were better than you. They always thought that they were better than everybody else. One of those people that's like, you know, oh yeah, I don't need to be saved. And for years and years and years, my grandmother, every time we talked to her, she'd be like, oh, I don't need to be saved. I get saved every night. And if so-and-so is going to go to heaven when they die, then I know I'm going to go to heaven too because I'm better than they are. And my grandmother started going to that church that my dad started. And she was 70 years old. Do you know how hard it is for a 70-year-old person to change? Do you know how hard it is for a person that is set in their ways to change? Do you know how hard and difficult it is for a person that's been doing things a singular way for a long, long time to change? That Sunday morning, my grandmother, 70 years of age, marched down to the front of my dad's church and in front of everyone here's what she said I trust Jesus Christ as my savior today she didn't know that you weren't supposed to do that and on that day my 70 year old grandmother gave her life to Jesus Christ I've never seen a greater change in anyone's life than her life you say well was she a bad wicked person you know, she was actually a pretty moral person. But man, I've never seen a person change for being kind and more loving and filled with grace that had no kindness and not much love in her life. God transformed her life. What is my point? When you begin to put the gospel at the center of your life, it is then and only then that real change happens. You want to know why you're going to be blessed? during this series? You want to know why you're going to be blessed by hearing this read? You want to know why you're going to be blessed by reading this book? It's real simple because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And when I understand that, everything Everything is different. Heavenly Father, help us to know and to believe and to understand that it's all about you. Lord, I pray that you just bless the reading of this book. Bless everyone that comes. Bless everyone that hears. And Father, we'll thank you for what you do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.